Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I really, when I said it this last week, did not think this was going to be the last episode of the regular season. And yet here we are wrapping up the season, not from an Elite Eight loss, but from a Sweet 16 loss, the first since 2005 to Ohio State. It's not that I didn't think that they could lose to Ohio State. I really just didn't expect it to happen. I thought that one way or another they would figure it out and they had enough to at least get into the Elite Eight. And if they lost in the Elite Eight, okay. That was probably bound to happen eventually. All the injuries were going to eventually catch up to them. Maybe they just weren't the better team. Maybe AZ's shot never returned. Maybe this and that happened. But for it to happen in the Sweet 16 to Ohio State, I did not have that one on my bingo card. Yeah, I didn't either. I think we talked about it some last week, but we kind of thought, like, you figure out the press, and you'll be fine. And, I mean, obviously, they never figured out the press, so they weren't fine, but figured expected them to to be able to get through that game. It's amazing that 2005 is the last time they got there. And the worst part is this year's team does not deserve to be talked about in the same breath as 2005 the dark ages, the fir- first year after Diana graduated. This year's team went through so much. They were resilient all year. They had so much go against them at every possible moment. And then this is the way it goes out. This is the way it goes out for Lou, the way it goes out for Dorka. It's just, it's not fair to this year's team to be remembered that way, but I wrote a story on it and asked how this year's team should be remembered. And from the replies I saw, most people seem to be in the boat that it'll be remembered more because of all they had to go through than losing in the Elite Eight. But I still just think it really sucks that of all the years, this year's team is the one that is going to be remembered as the one that broke the streak, that lost in the Sweet 16, all of that. Yeah, and like in a way, it's like, well, like, all the streaks ended this year because of all that stuff that happened and like it's really no fault of this group it was just they had a horrible luck but at the same time yeah that's like what's good it's always it feels like with UConn women's basketball it's always how the season ends that really defines the season which maybe which especially in this case is not fair but that's kind of seems to be the way it is Right. And I think realistically, the further we get from this year, especially depending on what next season looks like, I mean, if we're not going to do a look ahead or really a like whole season wrap up today, we're more going to focus on Ohio State. But the further we get and depending on how next year or even the year after these next five years go, it could very easily and probably will just become the year that Paige Becker's missed the entire year because she doesn't tear her ACL. They don't lose in the sweet 16. They don't lose six games. I don't know what it looks like, or I mean, like everything changes at that point, but the reason that they lost in the sweet 16 is largely because Paige Becker's wasn't there. There's a lot of minute reasons that happened during the game but Paige Beckers is the all-important equalizer. This team, I think talent-wise, was better than last year. I think it was better than the year that lost to Arizona in the bubble. But both those years had Paige Beckers in the NCAA tournament. This one didn't. 
So the fact that it hasn't happened in the last 18 years is incredible. And when we have the ability to especially look at Gino and Oriyama's entire tenure, whatever it looks like after he leaves, but I think you're going to look at the blip and what was 2005? 2005 was, oh yeah, Diana graduated the year before. This year it's going to be, oh yeah, Paige Becker's tour ACL. It was an inevitable that it happened eventually. So by that reasoning, I just had this underlying feeling all year. Like I just, there's no way they can win a national championship without Paige being out there. Right. Like do they have the ability? Yeah. Do they have the talent? Yeah. But it felt like there was always going to be a point where they needed a Paige Becker's presence out there. And turns out it was in the sweet 16. It wasn't even the final four championship game. Yeah, and I think that's that's really what it comes down to, right? It's Paige, and then it's, I mean, it's everything else, too. It's, you know, AC probably has the potential to to be enough in maybe like a Sweet 16 game, but she's clearly just not fully back. Her shot's not back yet, so, and that, to be expected, right? She missed how much of the season in 22 games or something like that? Wow. She's only been back for a few weeks, so, like, you can't expect her to be 100% what she was in November. Right. You look at what her numbers were before the injury and after the injury. It's not like she she had a good game against Baylor, but still that shot wasn't there. And you needed her to be at 100%. You needed one of her and Aaliyah Edwards to be at 100% in this game. Mm-hmm. Or at least to be contributing at a high level in this game. And neither of them did. And that's what really sunk them. But I... There's a lot of aspects, but the first one we have to talk about is the press. Really didn't seem like it was going to be an issue. Five minutes into the game, it looked like UConn was going to run away with it. It didn't look like it was even going to be competitive because Ohio State wasn't making shots. It wasn't setting its press up. And UConn was just going down and doing pretty much whatever it wanted on the offensive end. And then once Ohio State started making shots and the press came on, that's when it all really started to fall apart there. Yeah, exactly. Without the press, UConn looked like clearly the better team. And then as soon as they started pressing, it was like, it kind of looked like UConn didn't know that it was coming. It was like they didn't know what to do with it. It couldn't figure out how to get through it. And it was just turned into a bunch of turnovers to end the first quarter and then even more in the second quarter. Eight turnovers on eight possessions to start the second quarter. That's obscene. They literally did not get a shot off until four and a half minutes into the second quarter. Granted, there were some plays that I think you probably could have counted as a missed shot instead of a turnover, but the result's the same. What does it really matter? They talked about it after the game that those first couple of times they got hit with the Ohio State press. It was their first two times against the press. They turned it over and they were bad turnovers. It wasn't even like, you know, Ohio State made a play. They just handed it away. That seemed to just shatter UConn's confidence, and it really never got it back the rest of the way. They couldn't recover, and it all snowballed them on them so quickly, which is so weird to have seen from this team because this year's team was so resilient. Nothing seemed to rattle them until they started turning the ball over against the press. Yeah, it was kind of a weird reaction, because especially because... It was a mess in the second quarter, like it was probably as bad as it could be, but they still went into the locker room down 10, which is a very like manageable 
margin most of the time to come back for. We've definitely seen this team come back from downtown at some point this season. Um, I mean, I think we saw them do it. They were down probably close to 10 at the beginning of the Baylor game and were able to to come back for it from it, but it just couldn't really get past it in this game. And I mean, like I said, there's other things that factored into that, but it felt like that second quarter was just like that decided the game. It did because you look at the other three quarters and it was a tie game. Both teams had 54 <laughs> points and then it was an 11 point game in the second quarter. So when UConn's trying to make that run to get back in the game and get it close, they got it within five. They got a 9-0 run in the fourth quarter. Every single time they tried to make their move, Ohio State had an answer. But even still, it's not like they ever flipped a switch and it started looking like UConn again. The whole game was a grind after that first five minutes. It felt a lot to me like the Arizona game in terms of the feeling where you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, they're not down by that much. If they just can figure it out and turn it on, this game can turn really quick and it just never really happened yeah it definitely had that vibe I kind of feel like at halftime I was like this is not good and then once Elia Edwards picked up that fourth foul in the third quarter I was like yeah I don't think they're coming back yeah it was gonna be the type of thing where they needed to come out of halftime and blow open the game on like a 15 20 nothing run and look like themselves and totally take control And that didn't happen. It wasn't a bad start to the second half, but it just wasn't enough. They needed to really, really jump on Ohio State right out of the locker room. Instead, it was just back and forth. And in a back and forth game, the team that's ahead is always going to win. But as you mentioned, Aaliyah Edwards sat for foul trouble for most of the game. That really felt like the press and that second quarter were obviously the big issues and Aaliyah Edwards could have been out there the entire time and they still could have had trouble with that press, but you can probably survive a game with a million turnovers. If Aaliyah goes off or you could probably survive Aaliyah's absence. If you're not turning the ball over a million times and you're breaking the press pretty easily, but you couldn't do both of them. And you especially couldn't do both of them. In the second half, like you said, she picked up that fourth foul so quickly. There's an argument to make that you shouldn't put players on the bench when they're in foul trouble, but I think they kind of had to for a bit because, okay, maybe you bring someone off the bench and they can figure it out and they can hold it down for a little, but I would have liked to see her coming a little earlier in the fourth quarter because you're down 10. You need to try and make a run, and if you don't make that run, why does it matter if she's on the bench and follow trouble or if she's on the bench followed out she's on the bench one way or another and you need to make the run so you might as well know if you you might as well have her out there or not have her at all yeah and I think Gino took that approach in the second quarter because she picked up her second one in the first quarter right and then you put her back in when everything was going horribly in the second quarter and she picked up the third and then yeah the fourth I think at the the beginning of the the second half just really sunk them in terms of it was too much with the turnovers and that to overcome. And I think they needed Aaliyah out there if they were going to make some kind of run to come back and without her playing enough minutes in that, that second half, there's just really no shot at it. The other thing is we kind of saw UConn start. I don't know if they ever were 
comfortably beating the press, but for a lot of that second half, they only had what seven or eight turnovers in the mm-hmm. second half after having 18 in the first. That's a lot more manageable. And it seemed like what happened was Nika Mule just started breaking the press by herself. Whereas in that first half, they were trying to pass through it. We saw Virginia Tech have a pretty easy time breaking the press against Ohio State in the Elite Eight by just dribbling through it. I'm a little curious if the way that the coaching staff went into the game plan was, okay, if we pass through it, we are going to have a wide open basket every single time we get through the press. We do that four or five times and suddenly Ohio State can't press. Whereas Nika can beat the press by herself, but then you still got to run an offense. You still got to go in the half court where UConn hasn't been all that great. So I wonder if that was the game plan they went in with. But then once UConn turned it over and couldn't make those passes, that's when it fell apart on them because that was their game plan for breaking the press. But we're just not used to seeing UConn teams look so poorly coached out there. When have we ever seen them that shell-shocked against a press that it's not like they haven't seen a press this year and it's not like they haven't turned the ball over this year. So for them to just get hit so hard by it and not be able to recover. That's what was so bizarre. We're not used to seeing it be that bad. Yeah, exactly. It was like, they were like paralyzed by it. And like you said, they kept trying to pass through it and it wasn't working. And they just kept trying to do that where even if they hadn't made baskets like easily on the other end, they still would have been able to score if they got, you know, to the other way. And I think that would have done it. I think we saw with Virginia Tech yesterday is like they broke the press pretty easily. And then Ohio State had to stop pressing because they were making baskets and getting the ball inside the paint to Liz Kitley like you could have done with Leah Dorka. And Ohio State had to stop pressing because it just wasn't working. You can see a very easy path to how that happens for UConn where they're already up big in that first quarter. Not big, but they're up comfortably in that first quarter. If they kept pouring it on and they just broke through the press one. I think even if they break the press on their first attempt against it and then they turn it over like three more times after that, I don't know if the reaction's the same where all of a sudden, you know, they're shell-shocked. It could very easily just be, okay, well, we broke it once. We just had a few bad goes at it, but just the immediacy of the turnovers. It wasn't like they got it in and then on the second or third pass, they struggled. It was inbounds, immediate turnover, Ohio State basket. Now you got to try and do it again. And Gino said it. He wished that he could have just stopped the game, showed him the film that, okay, you have the ball. Two other players are wide open over here. Just get it to them and it's an easy basket. But obviously it's a lot easier said than done when you're in the moment and the entire world feels like it's falling apart around you. So I think we're going to see UConn go up against a press next year, and it's going to be like a hundred point margin of victory because UConn <laughs> is not going to get beaten by a press ever again for the next 10 years because of this game. <laughs> Gino's probably on the phone with McGuff already now that they lost being like, when are we playing you next season? <laughs> right. He wants to come in and get that press done early and they do that in a regular season game. Great. Now you get it out of the way and you've seen it before. I agree. It's like if they see it again, they're probably fine, but they just, they really couldn't overcome it in this game. Yeah. And Gino said a lot of Mark or a lot of this tournament that that's what makes this tournament so good is it only takes one team 
just not being themselves and wilting under the pressure for an upset to happen. And that's exactly what happened. It's not like Ohio State's a better team than UConn. UConn's been a really good team all year long, but looking back, I think it's fair to wonder, could there have been a worse matchup for UConn, a UConn team that only had two real ball handlers, a UConn team that struggled with turnovers all season long. And although I guess if you said before this game that UConn was going to lose its composure, that would have been surprising because when you look at the injuries and the reactions to the injuries from these past two seasons, last year, UConn never handled it well. It was always a really bad game after they had a major injury. And then they recovered and they figured it out. This year, they just took it all in stride. Oh, Gino's out. Okay, we'll just win for CD and keep her perfect record. AZ's out. Okay, well, that doesn't count as much because, you know, they didn't have anyone else after that. But they never seemed to really flinch when they faced uh, an adverse situation. Then you get into the NCAA tournament and the first time you face it, they completely fall apart on themselves. So I think in a couple ways, you could see how this would be how they end up falling, but with how tough they were mentally all year to just fall apart in this regard, that's what doesn't make as much sense to me. Yeah. I wonder if it was just like too much. It's like they've had to be so mentally tough every day for so long that it was just like too much to handle with all the pressure too, of like being a UConn team in a regional and now you're down maybe it was just like too much for them to take on i do think nika said after the nika said after the game in the locker room that they felt like they did their best not to reach a breaking point all year and they kept avoiding it and then today it all it broke on them it was the last straw so i think that could be an explanation just you hit your breaking point eventually and maybe it didn't take all that much to get them to break because it wasn't one major blow but it was a thousand paper cuts that weakened them and weakened them and then it only took a little bit for it all to just come down on them yeah like i could very much see that being that i think it's easy to like look at it as like one game and kind of (laughs) take the rest of that context out of it but they've been through so much this season that it's not necessarily shocking that it caught up to them eventually another factor it was a bad matchup but it also didn't help that you get into that second half and you're trying to recover from a 10 point deficit they got it down to five at one point but the defense suddenly didn't seem like it could make plays anymore and not only that it couldn't get stops and we saw all year long that when UConn was uh when UConn was making plays defensively, that was turning into good offense. And that's what disappeared in that ugly stretch for the month of February. They weren't turning defense into offense. And we'd also seen in flashes that this UConn team could just have defensive lapses where they would give up wide open shots or wide open layups and they would miss a switch and the communication wouldn't be there and there would be a wide open opponent under the basket. And I think both of those things kind of started to show themselves in that second half. UConn would get close and then the defense wouldn't get the stop. It would let up an easy bucket and 
all that air would come out of the balloon that they had just built up. So this was never a lockdown defensive team, but they usually did enough to, to get by. And when you're chasing a 10 point deficit, you need to do a lot. You need to be a lockdown defense. And that just didn't happen. Yeah, and I think, I mean, part of that is, of course, due to, like, not having Leah Edwards on the floor because I think her importance for them on the defensive end, especially in the lane, has been really high this year. And part of where they struggled to guard was in the lane, and Ohio State's freshman Cody McMahon was fantastic in taking advantage of that. But agreed, it was on the perimeter. It was just kind of everywhere. It felt like every time UConn could cut into that 10-point margin a little bit and, and get it closer Ohio State would hit a three or they'd get a wide open look or a three-point play or something that kind of just like took all the air out of the comeback once again. And they never really could cut it down to more than that five to get really threatened to kind of take over and, and take the lead. Yeah, even when they made their runs, it never really felt like it was the momentum was really moving to their side where you know, there's those UConn games where it just feels like a wave and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. They're just going to start going. And that never happened. It felt like there was going to be a point where AZ FUD started knocking down shots and then boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden you look up and it's two points, one point. They have the lead. But no, once Ohio State pushed them off from that 5-0 run and then it became... It turned into 18 late in the fourth quarter. You make a 9-0 run when it's an 18-point game and you're still down nine. I barely even looked up from my computer trying to get in the game story done at that point. It It's too little too late. And again, as I said earlier, it felt like it just wasn't going to happen no matter what they did. Yeah, it definitely had that, that tone to it. It didn't feel like... It didn't like because when they came out of the locker room against Baylor in that game, because it was what two point game or something like that, five point game at the half, and then Baylor came back and then they like came out with like this energy and you could feel like the shift in the energy and that just never happened in this game. Yeah, even Dorka said it after the game that they needed someone to just take charge and say, All right, like we're gonna do this, come on, and hit a shot. And no one really did that. I mean. Lou had 25 points and was fantastic on the game, but that's not really who she is. And not to say that the player who's been out all injured, obviously Paige Beckers would have helped, but that felt like a moment where they really missed Paige Beckers, where (laughs) whenever they would go into a rut and they would need a basket, Paige always found a basket. She would do some incredible thing that you don't even know how she got the shot off. And not only that, but it would go in. She seemed to do that all the time. These past, Those year and a half of games that we've seen when she's been healthy, no one stepped up and made that play that really shifted the tide. They would slowly work back, but it wasn't like it was a game-changing play that all of a sudden everything's flipped and now Ohio State's on its heels. That never happened. And the fact that even Dorka pointed that out post-game, I think is pretty telling. Yeah. Yeah, I did feel like they were lacking that player. And I guess if you think about who's been able to be that player this year at the beginning of the year, easy, but obviously just she can't hit the shots right now to do that. And then I think we've seen Aaliyah be that player at times, but without her on the floor, they're really, they didn't have someone that was going to step up and do that. 
it's a team that was built around Paige Becker. So right. when she's not there, you can see exactly where she fits in because she's your go-to scorer and you can play her off the ball because Nika's on the floor or you can have her bring the ball up if you want to have a different group out there. Everything on this team was set up to run through Paige and then you lose her and they were for most of the season, or not most of the season, but a lot of what we saw this year, they looked like just any other team in the country. And, you know, it, it's stunning that you lose a generational type talent and you're not as good of a team. Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> exactly. So I think the way to look at this game is, yeah, they weren't ready for that press or they didn't prepare the right way or they weren't mentally ready or they, they didn't have the mental fortitude left to handle the press and it really got out of hand in that second quarter and they couldn't make that comeback. And Aaliyah Edwards killed them by being in foul trouble. Yet the underlying current to all of it is that Paige Beckers was sitting there on the bench as she did all season long. And they're probably not even playing Ohio state because they're probably not even in Seattle because they're probably the number two overall seed in Greenville where Indiana was and then they get to walk through that region and they're probably in the final four and we're talking about the potential for a South Carolina UConn national championship rematch and how UConn's way healthier but that's not the way things go exactly (laughs) yeah I don't think there's much more to say than that it's like without Paige this team just didn't quite have it yeah we spent the whole year I think we did a really good job all year of not constantly making it about page isn't there. I think (laughs) as a podcast, we did a pretty good job of turning that page pretty quickly once the year started. But when you can look back on the whole year, obviously the best player on your team is going to make a difference. So the number one resolution for the 2023-24 season is to keep at least page and AZ healthy. Obviously, keep everyone healthy, but there's been, I think, 15 games is the number that those two have played together. You could argue that they have played zero when both of them are at 100%. That's killer. Yeah, it will be nice if we get to watch that next season. (laughs) What Steve was hoping for and was supposed to be. Indeed. On that note, that'll do it for the third season of Chasing Perfection. Three in the books now. We're about to enter our senior year of Chasing (laughs) Perfection somehow. So thanks everyone who's listened all year long, who has told other people, has shared it, everything like that. It's been, for the most part, a pretty fun year when it hasn't been injury after injury after injury. We'll be back soon. It should be, I imagine, the week after the Final Four to talk about, to put a bow on the year, to look ahead to next year, what to expect, everything like that. But until then, from the both of us, thanks for listening.